Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie. Welcome back to another edition of Marnie's Friends. Excited to have you with us today, along with our guest, Anita Wilson. We're going to be doing Stress Busters today, how to rewire your brain to reduce your stress. And you're going to want to grab some kind of a notepad because during the next hour, you are going to discover the five belief systems that create negative coping strategies, your own behavioral coping mechanisms, three easy exercises to rewire our belief system for good, the importance of becoming other-focused to create positive coping mechanisms, the role of creativity in creating positive coping mechanisms, necessary spiritual disciplines to help with stress, the role of properly understanding your identity when dealing with stress, and six general rules for creating positive behavioral behavioral coping mechanisms in your life. Our guest today is Anita Wilson. She's a Christian public speaker and author. And it has been said that if you combine the spiritual gifts of creative communication and wisdom, that describes Anita's writing and speaking. She's one of our featured speakers over at womenspeakers.com, and her website is aliasintown.com. Welcome to you, Anita. So excited to have you with us today. I am excited to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You know, and I love talking about the brain and how amazingly Mm. God has has created us and I always say you know it can be kind of frustrating if you don't understand why he put us together the way he did it right. can be really frustrating like how can I react like this yeah. how can I how can I exactly this right now <laughs> so yeah. I'm excited to dig into um, how the brain is wired especially as it relates to coping strategies as well as stress because this is especially this time of year it really kind of surfaces that we have more stress and this stress is leading us to sometimes um, uh, things that we didn't expect to have happen or come out of our mouths or (laughs) responses we didn't expect to have happen. So maybe launch us today by helping us to understand a little bit about uh, coping mechanisms kind of how do we think about it? Uh, well, I, I, the way the brain is wired, it, it takes what you believe, your belief about yourself, and when you're under stress, you have this reflexive response to how you deal with a, stress, a stressor in your life. And that re- reflexive response is based on the belief systems, like I said, that you have about yourself. And they can be good responses based on good beliefs, or they could be bad responses based on some bad belief systems that you have. Right. So what are kind of, uh, let's, let's just go into the five belief systems that create negative coping strategies. Yeah. Okay. The first one is what I'm going to just call negative I am statements. 
And this is when you play over and over in your mind, I am blank. And then you fill the blank in with something that's not very good or attractive for yourself. And you say, I am a failure. I'm an idiot. I'm out of control. I'm hopeless. And you play that over and over in your mind. And negative I am statements reflect a core belief of having poor self-esteem. The second one is that well, you should second, be before loved. We go, before we go on, let's go ahead and talk sure. about this one for just a moment. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking right away with the I am statement. So in the Bible, God says that he is the great I am. Mm, yes. And then we are created in his image. Uh, so when we apply these negative I am statements to ourselves, we're really saying, I am not. <laughs> I am not enough. Oh, that not. is so true. You know, and 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 yet I know I've kind of thought about this a little bit um, over the years. Is it prideful to say that I am? No, because I'm not yeah. God. And he called himself I am. So that's right. one of the things that, you know, and I, I believe in these I am statements, that they are so powerful and that they are so they helpful really are. for us to uh, – Say what God says about me. You know, what does the Bible say? Yes. Who does the Bible say I am? I am a child of right. God. I am the daughter of the King. Yes. You know, to say the true ones. And so saying these negative I am statements. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you could replace it with I am I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Mm-hmm. I am filled with grace. I'm an heir to the throne. The, you know, those are, those are true statements yeah and if you guys don't have that um there's just just search on google i am statements for christians there's whole books about mm-hmm. this there's lists that you can download if you find in your thoughts that you're just continually saying i am i'm so stupid i am so hopeless i'm so yes hopeless, you know these kind of things um this, this that kind of self-talk is just so hard to overcome if you don't catch it. it. So just starting to catch it and replace it. Okay, now you can take us to number two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am new to to radio interviews, so, oh, that's so okay. um, that's thanks for your grace. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. The yeah, the first the first belief system is um, stems from negative self esteem. We just talked about negative I am statements. Another belief system is believing that you should be loved and admired by everybody. And what that looks like is that if even one person responds to you in a negative way or with unkindness or judgment, then you have the feeling that everybody must feel the same way you do, or that person did. And that reflects a core belief of being a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that deep down, you know, Anita, deep down, we all do. We want everybody to love us, you know, <laughs> But, but it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it it's not. It's way. just not reality. It can't be. <laughs> it really can't be. And yeah. okay, when, you, when you, the next one, the next one no, is that you, you believe that you should, you should be fully competent. And so what what that looks like is that you think to yourself, if you fail at something, then I'm a total failure. I didn't fail at it. I failed. Uh, because of who I am. And so mm. you should be full, believing that you should be fully competent. It reflects a core belief of perfectionism. Mm, yeah. Ouch. Uh, just last, just last uh, show we were talking about um, 
how to turn setbacks into stepping stones, you know, and we were talking about mm. how these setbacks feel like failures. They, and, you know, I, years ago, I just redefined failure as feedback. It's just feedback. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just to provide it's, information, you know, it's just not a, mm-hmm. not a big deal. Yeah. It does feel bad. I mean, it feels bad. I really love the, the um, idea of, of, turning failure into stepping stones. I think that that's a great, a great analogy to use because when you do fail at something, you do learn. I, I was just listening to Tony Robbins mm-hmm. yesterday and he said that you should be failing every day right. because if you right. fail, fail at something every day, then you've learned something new every day. And, and you should try failing, to face your biggest yeah. fears. Yeah. And, it, and it, if you stop failing, it really means that you've stopped progressing. Exactly. Exactly. You can't move forward without without trying. And you know, our fear is what keeps us from trying things and if we can conquer those fears and try then and even if we fail, we've learned from that process. Right. Right. It's hugely valuable. Okay, what's number four? It really is. <laughs> okay. Uh the the next the next one is that believing that there are external factors that create your circumstance. So this is you believe that your own choices have nothing to do with your circumstances and you blame it on the economy or other, or other people or your spouse. You find excuses for your bad behavior and you believe that if it weren't for those external things, then you wouldn't have your problems. And that reflects the core belief of um, lack of ownership in your own behavior. And this one is probably not as common as, as the other ones, but there are so many times I know for myself that I will – tend to not take ownership of, of a choice that I've made when I'm under stress and I respond to stress in a bad way. I don't want to take ownership of that, and so I'll try to blame it on something. So hmm. the blame game is a, big, is, a big, is a big game to play, and it's not, not a good game to play. I once, heard that, I once heard that insanity is, is the um, – far extreme of irresponsibility, not necessarily intentional, mm. but that the person who sure. is mentally incapacitated at that level takes no responsibility for, right. uh, for what's happening. They just, life happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a yeah. different, quite a different place. And of course there are things that happen to us that we aren't responsible for like tsunamis or, you know, <laughs> they're just, sure. Oh, oh yeah. Happen, you know, but, but so we're always responsible, responsible for our response. Right, always and we're always, um, yeah. yeah, our response is, is, is not necessarily not necessarily what we, um, what we, what we can blame, but we can always be responsible for our response to, to something, and that's, that's the big challenge for me is to be responsible for my responses. And, and when you're under stress, you can't avoid stressors. They're just always there, mm-hmm. and right. they are not necessarily not necessarily bad things either. I mean, there are there are good things that that cause our our minds and our brains to release the same stress hormones as if you are un, under a negative um, stressor. So even the good things, like even getting ready getting ready for a party or um, Christmas time, is a good example of that. And Christmas is, a, is for most people is a great time of year. But yet, it causes so much stress, and in, in, in the things that you need to do to prepare, and because of that, we have the, this automatic response because our brains release those stress hormones, and we have this automatic response that we reflexively do when we are faced with stress. 
Mm-hmm. So what is the fifth belief system that can create negative coping strategies? It is believing that the past has control of your future. So this is like if you have experienced childhood abuse or you've been a victim of a crime or maybe you grew up in a family or a neighborhood that was saturated with poverty or drug use, um, you can believe that the past is controlling my future. And that reflects the core belief of having a victim mentality. Yeah, yeah. I was just... um... I don't know, like within the last week for sure. I was just saying in my in my head to God, I was kind of just praying and saying, um, this is the this is the first moment of my life going forward. This is the first moment of my life mm. going forward. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, had that. I had that kind of, you know, the victim mentality was creeping in, you know, it was like this, it's always gonna be like this, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> and and the reality is, you know, whenever you hear, whenever you hear in your thoughts that this will never change, this is always going to be this way, that's a lie. Right. Things are always changing. Oh, sure. You know, it, it yes. may change for the worse. You don't necessarily know it's going to change for the better, but one thing for sure, <laughs> it's not going to stay the same. <laughs> no. no, it won't. It yeah. change, change is normal. Change is normal. It doesn't feel normal most of the time, but it is normal. It's funny how much we fear change and and how much um, stress it brings into our life, but it is a normal part of life, and um, adapting to change is a a skill that that you can learn over time. Absolutely. Well, this is Marnie Swebber visiting today with Anita Wilson of aliasintown.com. We're going to take a quick break, come back and talk about our own behavioral coping mechanisms, three easy exercises to rewire our belief system for good, and the importance of becoming other-focused. We'll be right back. Find your next speaker at womenspeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring nearly 1,000 Christian women speakers from every state, denomination, and fee range near you. It's all available to you 24 hours a day, so you can start your most enjoyable speaker search anytime you have time. Search by location, name, topic, or fee range. Connect directly with the speakers you like using their social media links or the online connection box. It's really that easy. Womenspeakers.com has been the number one online connection place since 2002. Speaker profiles include a bio, professional headshot photo, a list of topics with descriptions, some references from people who've heard them speak, and so much more. It's all fast, fun, and free to search anytime you have time, day or night. Check it out right now at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie. We're visiting today with Anita Wilson about stress busters, how to rewire your brain to reduce your stress. Anita, let's dive into um, some you know, some unique or personal behavioral coping mechanisms. Maybe Help us understand how to find them. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Uh, when you think about the belief systems that you have, you can you can define those by thinking about what are the the thoughts that come to my mind when I am quiet and when I am still. What bubbles up into my brain? And when it comes to finding the other coping mechanisms that you can use instead of the negative ones, you can just think. It take some time to think about the activities in your life that bring you peace. Um, um, we're going to talk about other people being focused on others, um, creative activities, physical activities, 
these are all things that you can do those into your life and practice them, they become your default instead of the other reflexive responses that you might currently have. Um, I look at it this way. If you are a, a violin player and you are invited to play in a concert, you are going to not just show up and just play. You're going to spend weeks and weeks and weeks practicing and practicing so that you can give the best performance of your life. And that is true when it comes to dealing with stress. We have a, if we are on the spot and we are in trouble and struggling, we're going to have this reflexive response. But if we take the time to replace those with other healthy activities, then those new activities become our responses instead. And that is, it is so wonderful and hopeful that we actually have the opportunity to rewire our brains like that, that we don't have yes. to stay stuck in, in those detrimental, harmful, painful places that we've always gone. You know, when you were talking about how to find mine, you said, what thoughts come when you're quiet? I did, what thoughts come when dot, dot, dot? Because sometimes mm. I'm, when I'm quiet, I have other thoughts than when I'm agitated or in this one situation, you know, if I can just say, right. what thoughts are coming to me when I'm in that particular situation? What is happening in my brain? And actually, what mm-hmm. you're going to do next here is you wanted to share with us three easy exercises to rewire our belief system for good. And I want you to just dive into the first one. How do we begin to make this shift? Okay. Well, first I want to tell you where, where I'm getting these from. There's a class at Yale University, and it is called the Science of Well-Being. And they actually list eight things that you can do to rewire your brain. And you can get an app, excuse me, you can get an app called Rewi, R-E-W-I, and you can track those eight things for yourself and see how you're doing in them. But I wanted to share the first three of those. And the first one is, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just simply meditation to make sure you take time every day to meditate. For myself as a Christian, I meditate on God's grace and God's goodness and on the scripture. Meditation is the, is the first thing. And what that does to your brain is it actually rewires it so that you become more used to being content mm-hmm. instead of always fearing the future or worrying about the past. Oh, years and years ago, I was at a conference and he said, um, he said, you know, what do you think was the thing that made the most difference in people's lives? Was it prayer? Mm-hmm. Was it fasting? What was it? And it ended up that when they did the study that the thing that made the most difference in people's lives was memorizing scripture. And oh, when I good. thought about that, I thought, you know, that's really meditation because mm-hmm. when you, when you memorize scripture, you're going over and over this same passage, these same words, and, and you're just yeah. mulling them over and you're repeating them and you're processing them and you're getting right. them way down deep in your heart. And that's my yes. favorite way to, I mean, I can just meditate on God's love too. Obviously, that's so helpful. But this sure. process of memorizing scripture is just a beautiful way to memorize. So not only I love that what you're saying um, about the change it can bring. What I like about it is it actually opens the mind to a new perspective. And so, you you know, you've been stuck in your perspective, but as you meditate on God's word, it opens your mind to 
this is something that you never saw before. That's my favorite part. It's just so powerful. Okay, what is the second yeah. exercise we can do to rewire? Uh, well, you know what? It's, it's another simple one that is real simple to say, not necessarily easy to do, but that is gratitude. Mm. To have a, have an attitude of gratitude, that sounds corny, but, <laughs> but it's true. And <laughs> I think one of the things that, that traps us about gratitude is if you just think that sitting at, down at the end of the day and just writing out a list of things you're thankful for, not that that's a bad thing to do, it's a good thing to do, but if that's your only effort at gratitude and you spend the rest of your day complaining or being ungrateful, then you haven't tipped the balance scale at all in your mind. So you have to, to actually spend more time being thankful and being grateful than you do complaining. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it is that uh, pray without ceasing um, kind oh, of yes. a, a concept where it's supposed to just be interwoven into every part of the day where it, yes. in the, in, in my latest Bible study book, Floaster Vessel, I talk about the four R's, which is we recognize we've got a problem and that God wants to help us. We mm. release it up to God. We receive his reciprocal gift, whether it's peace or patience or love or whatever it is. And then we say, we respond and say, thank you. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, that's that's awesome. This, it's this relief that we get when we're actually um, walking with God through the moment by moment parts of our day, giving him mm-hmm. the things that are painful and receiving joy and peace and hope in, in you know, in response yes. to giving that to him. The natural response there is Thanksgiving. I mean, that's the natural response yes. is to be grateful. Yeah. And so as we learn to just walk with God and, and recognize that he, he is really helping us every step of the way, this gratitude piece, I think, just becomes more and more natural, mm-hmm. the natural flow of life. I felt like when we were leaving the meditation thought that I, that I uh, shorted you on something there that you had wanted to share. Do you remember what it was? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> it's okay. Um, what I want, what I wanted to share was just an, my own personal experience when you were talking yeah. about memorizing scripture. Um, Great. I, my, in my history, I, in, about six years ago now, I attempted suicide mm-hmm. and out of that suicide attempt, I was put in a psychiatric hospital and my mind was just not I couldn't even hold a conversation with someone. I was so, the depression had, had overtaken me so much that I couldn't hold conversations. I couldn't put thoughts together or string thoughts together. But just miraculously, I had scripture that started to flood my mind when mm-hmm. I was in that psychiatric hospital. And it was mm-hmm. the only cohesive thoughts that I had. Everything mm-hmm. else was all muddled up, but I... The, that scripture just bubbled up from my heart, and so important when you when you mentioned memorizing scripture, it just really brought that memory back to me. That how miraculously God reached in and said, "Here's here's the truth, Anita. You know, you you are valuable to me, and here are just His words just poured through my mind, and it's because I had taken time in my life before to meditate on God's word and to memorize God's word." So I just wanted to share that because I, you know, you can go, we can go through quickly on a list of things, but just yeah. taking the time to savor and, and actually savoring is the next, is the next, um, the next oh, thing yeah. to actually rewire your brain. 
<laughs> is to savor. Um, and savoring is, is living in the moment. I think we, you were just talking about that. Um, living, living in the moment. We, our lives are so complicated and complex nowadays. It's, we don't live in an easy time, even though we have all this technology and all these things around us. We don't live in an easy time anymore. And life is complex and it's hard, but yet there are moments in every day, I would argue there's a moment, there are moments in every day. It can be something as simple as waking up and there's snow on the ground. And your first thought could be, oh, i got to drive to work in this. <laughs> or your first thought can be, look how beautiful this is. And just take mm-hmm. a moment to savor the moments of beauty, the moments of laughter, and and embrace those good things as they come into your life, those little blessings. I believe that, and I think it was it was it um, Elijah that God held, held that God said, um, I'm going to speak to you, and he came in the fire, and he came in the wind, and he came mm-hmm. in the earthquake, but his voice was in the quiet whisper. And mm-hmm. I think that when we go through our day, there are quiet whispers from God that go throughout the day, and if we can quiet ourselves enough through meditation and through gratitude, we can hear those those precious words and savor them. Yeah, absolutely. I've been um, for several years now learning how to enjoy every bite eating with God, and that that bites come very frequently. <laughs> when you're eating, you have a lot of bites back to back, and so it's hard to it's hard to slow down enough to enjoy every bite with God. But what I what I try to do, and um, the habit that I'm developing is to pause before every single bite and to just thank him, and then to really enjoy it. You know, he put like oh, ten thousand awesome. taste bud receptors in our mouth. Why did he bother? Wow. Why did he yeah. bother with that? You know, mm. and and he says we're going to go to heaven and feast with him. So even if there's nothing else for you to be thankful for today, just as you're taking a bite or maybe a sip of your beef broth or whatever it is that you're having just really savor it with God and just be amazed at how he created your mouth to be able to taste that. And, you know, it yeah. doesn't have to be a big, gigantic thing. It can be the tiniest right. little thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an, attitude, oh, absolutely. it's an attitude of gratitude and being, like you say, present mm-hmm. in the moment. I just love that. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about becoming other focused and yes. what, uh, what that helps us do. Yeah, yeah. It, what it, what it does is the pro- probably the primary thing that it does is it takes our mind off ourselves. We can become so um, caught up in the world that we live in, and and you know worrying about appointments and worrying about getting things done, and and we can get so caught up in ourselves that that it almost becomes to the point where we can become a little bit selfish. But if we take the time to focus on other people then it actually gets our thoughts off of ourselves and it helps our brains to rewire into more love and more kindness. It doesn't have to be um, these huge, you don't have to go to Walmart and pay off everybody's layaways, <laughs> you know, but it's just simple things like, like praying for someone. That is a simple thing that, that I don't know if we appreciate the power of praying for another person and what that really does. It moves the resources of heaven. It moves our own hearts and minds into a, a place of more love and peace and grace, not to mention what God will do for the other person. 
So just yeah. being coming, focus on other people helps us to get that focus off of ourselves, and it helps us to rewire our brain so that we are not not as selfish as we could be. Mm. Just earlier today, my husband shared a story that I think is such a beautiful analogy of that. He was um, reading about this man uh, from Nazi Germany, and he had been in a train, you know, one of those jam-packed cattle cars full of Jews um, Mm. being taken to a concentration camp. And Mm. he had, uh, next to him was a man who was very, very injured. And he thought as it became, became dark, he thought, if I don't, if I don't, work keep this man warm he'll die by morning so all night mm. long he worked on rubbing that man's hands and feet and rubbing his legs mm. and rubbing his arms and his head and and wow. he was so exhausted but in the morning when the sun came up he realized that they were the only two living beings on the train everyone else had frozen to death Oh, and my goodness. Wow. I know. And it was such a picture to me of this very wow. concept. God God sometimes has us do things for other people, and we think, wow, this is so hard. I'm giving up so mm-hmm. much. But like you said, he's doing that in our lives in order to actually help us, in order to grow us, in order to make us uh, enjoy a blessing as well as grow more independence on him. This is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Anita Wilson of aliasintown.com. We're going to come back and talk about some more stress busters, uh, specifically the role of creativity and creative positive coping mechanisms, as well as necessary spiritual disciplines to help with stress. We'll be right back. Minutes with Marty is my per minute coaching service. Whenever you feel stuck, have an idea you want to run by me, need to pick my brain, or would like me to edit your one page or media pitch, just schedule a 15 to 60 minute session using the easy calendar tool at Marnie.com. I'm so grateful that you're here with us today, and I hope to connect with you one-on-one soon. Visit Marnie.com, that's M-A-R-N-I-E.com, to schedule your coaching session right now. Welcome back. This is Marnie. You're visiting with us at Marnie's Friends. Busters today, how to rewire your rain t- uh, brain <laughs> to reduce your stress. Okay, our guest today is Anita Wilson of Alias in Town. Anita, let's go ahead and dive into the role of creativity in creating positive yes. coping mechanisms. I love that. Yeah, it, creativity is such a powerful tool. If you think about the most creative being in the universe is God himself and how creative he is. And us being made in his image means that we are also creators. And there's some people that think, oh, just take me off the list. I'm not a creative person at all. But creativity is a lot more than just creating art or or um, music. Creativity comes into focus most probably most of the time through um, working on a project or problem solving. And so creativity can take your brain and actually rewire it so that it becomes this great relief of stress whenever you do something that is creative. And like I said, it doesn't have to be artwork. It can also be something like um, fixing something that you've been putting off or organizing something. You use use creativity when you organize something. Um, You could research your family tree. That's something that's creative that you can do. It's not necessarily doing artwork, but when you express creativity, you are expressing a little bit of God in you when you do that. 
I loved the book. Um, I still love it, but uh, Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. And he talked Mm, in there about the scripture verses that, you know, indicate that part of what we'll be doing for eternity is creating. And that was super exciting to me. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, I have an uncle who worked in the, in the inner city for many years and his, his art budget for his art class of these high school students, his art budget for the year was $200. It's oh, like, wow. what can you do with two hundred dollars? You know, I mean, uh-huh. basically they can do watercolor and get crayons. You know, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So then he, then he, um, before he retired, then he went and he worked in a, in an area where they had a much greater budget, and he was able to do oh. so much more with his kids. You know, it's kind of like us oh, right now. We're we're on Earth, and we have a limited creativity budget was still good but um you know it's limited then heaven is going to be just this unlimited uh creativity budget. I love but that. I, you know i like you know like for me um my creativity comes out in learning how to do something new so i have an idea oh like, that's I wanna, wonderful i want to be able to do this thing and then i'll just put mm-hmm. my mind to it, study and read and watch videos and you know um practice and attempt and fail and <laughs> Going. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's all part I of. I love it's that. All part of it. Yeah, it's all part of it. So, what does what does it actually do? What it, like? Why does it work? Why does it help us? Well, it, like I think what I said before about it, the tapping into how how God actually created us to be. He created us to be a creative person to solve problems creatively, to express ourselves creatively, and I think that it works. Because it allows us to, again, step outside of ourselves a little bit and extend ourselves out. When we place something out into the world, we're placing a piece of ourselves and a piece of God out there. And whether that is learning something new or painting a picture, it is building the kingdom, I think. You're you're Mm -hmm. actually building the kingdom of God when you create. And I think that that really helps us when it comes to dealing with stress because the kingdom of God is a place of peace and a place of joy. And when we take the time to create, then we create that experience for ourselves and for other people around us too. And I, I think, you know, I'm sitting here kind of thinking, is this true or is this not true? But I think that it's even creative to actually go step by step and follow someone else's plan. Like in making a new recipe. Oh, sure. I feel creative. I feel like I'm creative. I'm creating something I have never done before. Uh, Maybe I tasted it somewhere or saw the recipe and just thought it'd be really fun to try. And there is that same sense with that, even though I'm not actually bringing it from nothing into something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, isn't that the truth? It it is the creating. It's it's transformative. Creating things is transforming something from one state into another. So if you're using your creativity to organize something, you have a disorganized mess and you, you've transformed it into an organized um, system. And so creativity is a transformative activity and transformation, what it's all about. <laughs> it is. It is. And and also, too, I think of, you know, the caterpillar to the butterfly. When the oh, caterpillar yes. is being transformed into a butterfly, um, you don't see much action on the outside of that little cocoon. It just looks like it's just hanging there. 
Um, maybe you yeah. can see it wiggle every once in a while, but basically you don't see anything until you see the mm. transformation. And I think it's important, right. again, on this process from start to finish with whatever you're working on to expect that sometimes it's not going to look the way you hoped. Sometimes it's not going to go right. as fast you as might you hope. fail. <laughs> yeah, and you might look like you failed, but even just the attempt. I remember when the kids would try something that just wasn't their cup of tea. And it's funny, like right now, so so two of my kids tried um, uh, either track or else um, long distance uh, cross country, and they really didn't like it when they were younger. Oh. Yeah, but now oh. that they're adults, they both love to run. I mean, they both love to run, but they didn't like oh, the structured um, the structured components of it and so it seemed like a failure at the time and they would be frustrated with themselves you know I didn't do as well as I wanted to you know I should just quit blah, 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 like that and I'm like you know you you already succeeded more than the other you know let's say that there were 100 kids in their grade um, oh, sure. you, you succeeded over the 90% of kids in your grade that didn't go out and try yeah you know I mean it, you know, we, yeah. have, we have to kind of change our perspective of what we're, how we're defining success and failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I like what you had said earlier, too. So you said that when you're learning something new, you practice, practice, practice. And that really is the key when it comes to um, transforming our, our, changing our minds, rewiring our brains. You know, we have this reflexive response that we have for stress. But when we practice, 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 these new activities that we can incorporate into our lives, when we do those, those actually replace the poor reflexive responses that we have. And so make a list of of some of the things that you'd like to do that bring you peace and joy and make sure that you incorporate those things into your life and practice them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the spiritual disciplines that really help with stress? You know, we have, we've already talked about scripture and prayer. So I, I'll bring up fasting. You know, fasting is you deprive yourself of the sensation of what you really, really want to remind yourself of what you really should have. So you can fast food. You can, you know, that, that's the typical thing when we think about fasting. We think about, well, I mean, I'm going to give up a meal a day or I'm going to, to fast for a day or two days or whatever your routine is. But you can also do things like fasting television, you know, giving up some TV time, fasting your electronics, giving up your phone for a day or two. And that is, um, it reminds us when we, we have these cravings for other things and then it reminds us that well, we, we should be craving time with God. We should be craving his presence and his goodness and his grace. So fasting is 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 definitely one that I think that we should all put into our lives in some way or another, whether that's food or technology or or something else. Hmm. Another yeah. another one is um, solitude. I don't know that we are real good with solitude in our culture today. We are, tend to be so busy and 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 tend to to um, interact as much as possible with other people, even you know Facebook and texting and all of that. Boy, it's to get alone and just be alone with just you and God and have solitude time where it's quiet and still is where you can meet God. Yeah, I love that. And I we were talking earlier about meditation. 
and how I like to scripture memory, but in these times of solitude too, there's just those times where you just sit quietly with Jesus. Yes. Yes. And allow him to speak to you. And I have this one um, thing that I do when I, when I journal my, I have a dear pastor friend who taught me how to do this. And what he suggested was that I take three different color pens and the first color represents me, and usually that's usually it's just a black color. You know, it's pretty simple, black or blue. And then I use a purple pen that reflects scripture, and then I use a red ink pen, and that reflects God's what I hear God saying to me. And when I when I'm sitting down and I'm meditating and spending some time with God, I write out my prayers to God in my color ink. And I write out, I sit and I listen and I wait to see what he says. And I write that out in my journal in red ink. And I can't tell you the number of times I've gone back to my old journals and just relished in some of the words that I felt God was saying to me. (laughs) That is awesome. It's like your own red leather journal instead of your red leather Bible. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I have a red leather journal. I actually love that. I actually love that because a lot of times when I'm writing what God is saying to me, I get confused about who's mm-hmm. on the left side, who's indented, and yeah. like, that's yeah. well, hard to go back. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, for those so of you listening, colors. yeah, for those of you listening who don't really have a conversation with God, like what we're talking about here, um, prayer is meant to be a conversation. It's not meant to be a one-way street where you do all the talking mm-hmm. and God does all the listening. Actually, He does want to talk to you and. When he talks to us, it sounds a lot like our own thinking. It's coming through the spirit of our heart mm-hmm. into our thought life. And a lot of times it sounds like your own voice, but you can definitely di- learn to differentiate between what you're saying and what God's mm-hmm. saying. And even between that and what other thoughts are being put into your mind from the outside. Yes. Uh, so, you know, this it's a process. It's like being a child and going back to the beginning, learning how to listen, learning how to understand words, learning how to speak. Um, if you just, if you just, believe that God really does want to communicate with you. I promise he really does. Anita, is that true? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you learn to, as we, like you said, you, we learn to recognize that voice. It is something, it is a thought that we get that it doesn't normally think the way we would normally think. It is um, <laughs> ideas That's that pop happens. into your head out of nowhere. That's actually one of the best ways to know it's God is that you're having this thought that you would have never normally had, and, but yet it lines up right. with scripture, you know, and so you have this thought that's like, wow, where did that ever come from? It's like, Probably yeah, from yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly true. And, you know, you'll be, or you can read a familiar scripture that you've read over and over and over again in your life, and then you'll read it again, and all of a sudden something will stand out at in that to you that you've never noticed before. Well, that's, right. that's nice. That's not your own intelligence. That's you know, that's God saying, "Hey, pay attention to this. Look at this." <laughs> right, right. And then I have a phrase that I like when I'm confused. I just always say, "God, just talk to me about this from your perspective." So I see, you know, mm-hmm. Revelation three, funny Jesus standing at the heart at my heart's door, and He's saying, "Can I come in and talk to you about this? Can I come in and that's shed right. some light on this situation? Because otherwise, we are just truly trapped in our own thinking." And that's very limited yes. compared to God's eternal perspective on every last thing. You know, he's so outside of time and space and he can see what's coming in our lives and why we 
react yes. to sway from our past in our lives. And he can really bring a lot of healing if we will just trust him and open up and let him do that. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Anita Wilson of aliasintown.com. We're going to have one last break and come back and talk about the role of properly understanding your identity when dealing with stress and the six general rules for creating positive behavioral coping mechanisms in your life. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Leaders across America rely on womensevents.info to find the major Christian women's events coming to their area. Womensevents.info is the only online directory of its kind featuring all the upcoming major Christian women's events. You are invited to search for events coming near you or to add your own major Christian women's events. Everything's easy and accessible over at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie. Our guest today is Anita Wilson of aliasintown.com. We're talking about stress busters, how to rewire your brain to reduce your stress. Anita, let's go ahead and talk about the role of properly understanding our identity when dealing with stress. And we talked about it at the beginning a little bit, but go ahead and bring us back around now. We've added some content sure. here. So, um, yeah, yes. share with us what that is part about that. Yeah, um, one of the things that you can do is to base your identity on saying totally the wrong things. What I like to say is it's my identity is not who I am, but it's whose I am. Mm-hmm. And we had talked about that earlier. I am a child of God. I am an heir to the throne. I am forgiven. I am more than a conqueror. And when we do that, when we recognize that, our identity is based on whose we are, not necessarily on who we are, not on our job, not on our accomplishment, not on somebody saying, oh, you are, you are X, Y, Z, and then you believe that you are X, Y, Z. Those are all things that are fleeting and temporal. But when we recognize that we are a child of God, then that takes the onus off of us to perform out of our own strength. Now we have the strength of Christ. Now we have the power of God working through us instead of our own strength and our own power. Hmm. I love that. And, you know, whose I am versus who I am. And then I always say, you know, we are human beings. We are not supposed to be human doings. Yeah, there are things God's going to assign us to do. But, you know, to just rest in the reality that even if I was a vegetable, <laughs> even if I could move my arms or legs and do anything for anybody uh, for the sake of Christ, I would still belong to him. I would still be his. Um, anybody, yes. I need yes. you experience this when you were recovering. Uh, I've experienced this in the hospital. There, there are times in our lives where, where we can do. We're the one being done unto. And those are yes. hard times. Yes. You know, we're, we're built. Yes to want to give and to want to share and to want to help. Uh, but sometimes it gets mm-hmm. pretty confused and it becomes our identity instead of whose we are. It's the Mary. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a, a chronic illness and um, it caused me to have to give up my career. And it was, a, that, was a, that was a big deal. And it sent me into a big spiral of depression because I had actually based my identity on what I did. Mm-hmm. I was being a human doing. 
<laughs> and because I did that, I it, it led to a very back, dark depression, which I had talked about earlier, and, and led to a suicide attempt. And it was simply because I had placed my identity in things that, that didn't matter, things that were temporary, things that were fleeting. And once I got my eyes on Christ and off of myself, it just made such a huge difference in my life. And it and it just literally turned my life around. And and by having that perspective, when, when stress hits in your life, when you have that perspective, you are, like I said, you are no longer having to operate in your own power and your own strength. Mm-hmm. You have the strength of God. You have the strength of Christ in order to do all things through him. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It, it is such a relief to recognize that it's not all about me. <laughs> right. Yes. Good, true. good news for everybody, including me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> me too. So what are the, me too. What are the six general rules for creating positive behavioral coping <laughs> mechanisms in your life? What's rule number one? Rule number one is, is to not to pollute your environment. Now, that could be done in, in many different ways, and it is a difficult one to not pollute your environment because it probably will require a lifestyle change. You know, if if you um, if you ha- are an addict, for example, then you don't want to pollute your environment by having friends or family that use around you. Like, you, you might have to change your friends. And you know that old adage, garbage in, garbage out? It's actually true. And... You can pollute your environment by just simply not paying attention to what kind of entertainment you're allowing into your mind and in your heart and what kind of music. And so this is your life, and this is serious, and you are worth the best chance that you can give yourself. So don't pollute the environment around you. Hmm. I always, at moments like this, I always like to pause and just remind everybody that, um, you know, there are people that, maybe doing things in your life that are hard for you to be around, but that you need to have in your life still because God put them there, like mm-hmm. a spouse or a child or a, like parents. Right, like right. That. You sure. know, and, and, and I know our culture just says, just leave them all and just leave it all behind. And, but, you know, God is no. bigger than this. But what you're talking about, yeah. Anita, what I hear you saying is, in in optional in optional situations where you have the choice to either – go yes. this way or a different way, you know, to choose this choice right. or a different choice, then make the right choices. And then that just leaves all the more energy to put toward the things that are not optional. That, that's very true. I, I, and I don't want it to sound like I'm saying to break relationships at all. Um, right. I, right. I agree with you when you say, when you say that our culture does say, just leave it all behind. I, there is a there's a part of me that makes me so sad when I when I see something on social media where someone is saying, well, this person I'm going cutting them out of my life because they're just too negative for me, and I there's a part of me that gets really sad when I see that because we are we need to be more gracious with each other, we need to be more forgiving with each other, and so I'm not talking about um, people polluting your environment necessarily, but yes, the choices that you can make. And and you can choose you can choose whether or not to 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 watch that violence in that movie. You can choose whether or not to um, 
how I my mind just went blank. But but the well, choices that we make are to bring to bring substances into your home. I mean, you can choose you can choose yes. these things. You know. So yes. okay, what's the second rule? The second rule is to avoid your triggers. So if you know that there are some things that are going to make you fly off the handle or are going to make you um, choose a bad strategy for coping with stress, avoid, just simply avoid the trigger. Avoid that trigger. If a, if a trigger happens to be a person, then you're in a quandary. <laughs> you might have to well, avoid a person too, but. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think the one thing, you know, the one thing is just, is just balance here, you know, cause we can throw the baby out with the bathwater or not. And, and I think what God's trying yeah. to do is he's, he's trying to grow us all up into dependence on him. So as a parent raises yeah. a child, we teach the child to be less and less dependent, more and more independent. As God raises us, he teaches us to be more and more dependent, less and less independent. And so a lot of times these triggers, these triggers that come, are, are just uh, the, the heat of the fire raising the dross to the top so it can be skimmed off and given to God and never bothered with again. You know, so there's an yes, opportunity yes. when you are triggered to say, oh, my goodness, this feels horrible. Jesus, help me. Help me. Take this and give me something in its right. place and thank you so much. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to just intentionally keep running into the same walls. I mean, that's just foolish exactly. and it's not necessary. And I, I so hear you. Exactly. So what's number three then? Number three is to treat yourself like you would treat other people. You know, uh, be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself. And don't expect perfection from yourself and to love yourself. Treat yourself as good as you treat other people. And I, this was one that I really struggled with. I remember um, going to a counselor and talking to her, and, and I can't even remember what necessarily it was I was mentioning, but it was something that I, in my life that I was frustrated over. And she said, Anita, if a friend of yours did that same thing, would you forgive that friend? And I'm saying, well, yes, of course. And she said, well, why can't you just forgive yourself? Okay. <laughs> so okay. treat yourself like you do other people. Absolutely. Love yourself that yeah. much. <laughs> I really love that litmus test, too, is just saying, you know, if my friend walked in on me right now, would she never forgive me? Would she beat me up all night? Would she, you know, <laughs> the so Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Exactly. The fourth one, the fourth rule is is a distraction. That's the one word answer. It's a distraction. A two minute distraction is all it takes to get your mind refocused on something else. Just two minutes of doing some other activity. So that's why it's important to sit down and think about that list of activities mm-hmm. that you can can do. Because when you are under a big amount of stress, you can choose to do something for just two minutes, and it will distract you. Hmm, cool. Okay, what's number five? Number five is socialization. Don't isolate yourself. I um, I saw a TED talk one time, and they said that loneliness is as big of a health risk as smoking, and that was shocking to me. But it it really is. We are created by God to be social creatures and to need each other and to need to be in community with each other. So socialization would be number five. I think, you know, the Bible talks about that. Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop getting together with other Christians. You know, it's critically yes. important to stay in in community and especially oh, with Christians. Yeah. Yes. Okay, what's number six? Number six is the power of saying no. Learn mm-hmm. to say no. 
Now, you can't be a people pleaser and you don't have the strength to always say yes, so you need to know what your energy level is and to say yes to something only if you are actually able to do it. And don't say yes just to make somebody else happy or to make somebody else think or think well of you. It's okay to say no. <laughs> yeah, I actually, the thing that freed me because I couldn't say no, I, I could say no if it was in writing or something, but if a person was looking at me with their big... Mm, it's so hard. <laughs> yes, yes, it's so you know, hard. I knew, that, I knew that I could maybe do it. Uh, maybe I shouldn't, but I right. could, and I just didn't say no. Until I learned the phrase, um, every time I say yes to something, I have said no to something else, and every time I say mm-hmm. no to something, I've said yes to something else. So the reality is, that if I tell this person yes right now, I've said no to my children or to whatever else I was going to do at that time. Right. And if yep. I was just going to so TV, well, then I better say yes. <laughs> if, you know, if I was actually going to do something like rest or, you know, re-energize or prepare or do something that God had called me to do, then I have to say no to them so that mm-hmm. I can say yes mm-hmm. to God. So that's what that's how yes. I define it now. I say yes every time. I say yes every time. I say yes to God every single time. Sometimes that means saying no to yes. this person. Yeah, it just yes. helps yeah. me. Really, a lot of of strain and feeling guilty about it and everything. Well, Anita, this hour has absolutely flown by. Great, great. Oh Dr. goodness. <laughs> and um, before we leave, I just want to encourage you guys to visit her website. It's aliasintown.com. And Anita, when they go over there, what will they find? What they'll find is um, I wrote a book called Well. And Well is a book that talks about what it's been like to live with a chronic illness. And that book is contains art. It contains actual journal excerpts from my journals written in the different color inks. <laughs> and, and contains essays. And it's all about things like identity, things with coping with stress, um, and it, it talks about my journey through a hard time. So you'll find my book there, that book there. There's another book I wrote that's called The Hebrew Names of God, which is a Bible study you can get for free. And you can also contact me at Anita Marie Wilson at aliasintown.com. And um, I would love to hear from anyone that, that would like to send me an email or, or um, a comment on the website. That would be wonderful. And, um, and just very quickly, very quickly, where did the name Alias in Town come from? Yes, I was just getting ready to explain that. Alias in Town is an actual, actually an anagram of my name. So if you take those letters, Anita Wilson, and you rearrange them, you get Alias in Town. Really? And the reason I chose that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reason I chose that as a pen name is because there are alias people living in every town who are dealing with depression, who are dealing with addiction, and and dealing with illness, and they don't don't be alias anymore. Come out of those shadows and don't be alias anymore. Let's talk about it. Let's get that out on the table and talk about what it's like to live with an illness or to to live with depression. And so that's where alias in town came from. <laughs> I love it. God is so creative. That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I'm just so proud of you and thankful for you that you have. Um, Thank you. Lived lived through your life and are willing to share it now with others as you speak and write and teach. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. 
And thank you guys for being here. You just can't have a show without listeners. Uh, again, so many of you came today that were number one on Blog Talk Radio. That happens frequently. And those of you who come live, thanks so much. And those of you who listen around the web, oh my goodness, thank you. And to those of you who host us, just so grateful for that uh, love and support. I hope you have a wonderful time, a wonderful day rather, and a great, great week until we meet again. Bye-bye.